Hi there. My name is Dahlia El Sayed. I'm a visual artist and an assistant professor of art at LaGuardia Community College in New York. Today I'll be talking about hybrid careers and the work of balancing your work and trying to figure out what that looks like today and hopefully share some good strategies that you can put into practice. So if I was making this podcast many years ago, I could have also started out by saying, Hi, my name is Dahlia El Sayed, and I'm a visual artist and a grant writer, or a visual artist and a baker, or a visual artist and a retail employee. I, like many other artists, have done a variety of different kinds of work simultaneously alongside their artwork. The truth is that I know no, almost no artist who financially survives solely on their art sales. Even ones who show at fabulous galleries in New York City, even ones who were in the last Whitney Biennial, and even those who have work in the collection of MoMA. Most of us, even with steady exhibitions and an ambitious practice, do other things. We teach, we write, give lectures, teach workshops, take consulting jobs, sit on juries, open businesses, work for others, and so on and so on. And this is not only necessary financially, but I think it's really good for us too. Developing knowledge and skills outside the studio leads to better knowledge and skills in the studio, and it also brings in money to pay your rent. As you probably already know, art making is not a clearly defined linear trajectory. There are ebbs and flows that are sometimes out of your control, even if you are making good work. And unless you have some kind of fantasy partner or parent who is willing to totally support you, in which case you're probably not listening to this, you have likely come face to face with the realization that you have to have some kind of additional work to pay for your studio, your materials, your website, your framing, etc. And no one really likes to talk about that part because it's much more fun to create some romantic notion that an artist can make a living solely from their art. And somehow we've all been taught that if you have to do something else besides paint all night and day, that you are some kind of failure. So I'm here to tell you that having a job or a hybrid career, as we're calling it, is not a bad thing. And in fact, it is a great thing. The way artists' lives look today is more hybrid than ever. It's more about shaping a whole creative life that encompasses many different channels rather than having these red-lined parameters separating what we want to be doing and what we have to do. There are ways to make them connected and balanced. So how do you get to that place? A good place to start is to ask yourself, what are you interested in? It's a question I ask my students all the time. In the classroom, we talk about interdisciplinary methods and outside sources and how it makes the work more complex and challenging and can lead to new ideas for future work. So many of my students have interests that overlap or live parallel to what they are making in the studio, and the same is true for the practicing artist. That interest might be research and teaching, but it can just as easily be organic farming or typography or historic preservation. The areas outside of form and technique, the subjects that are informing your work, food, history, the environment, video games, whatever it is, are often the place to start thinking about expanding your resources. In other words, places that you might be interested in working. 
what can happen alongside our studio practice that supports us, and here I mean very clearly financial support as well as intellectual and practical support. This is something not only that I teach, but also put into practice, and I see it around me with other artists. If you take a look around at all the different ways art is being made and seen today, through collaborations and collectives, ephemeral works, um, non-traditional spaces, skill shares, public art, digitally, and all the work which blurs the lines between disciplines and forms. The channels are broader and so are the way that artists work and there's a great potential in combining the income and expense columns in your world. On more and more artist websites, you see more than just a gallery of images. You often see writing, workshops, or other logical commercial services that are connected by skills or research. It's a big picture view. Just as hopefully there are many facets to an art project that you're working on, there are also many facets to this larger project called your life. Some are mundane and some are mechanical, some are amazing, some are anonymous toil, and some are things you receive great glory for. I believe that your studio practice is a mirror of your larger life, and if you are putting in concrete boundaries to keep them separate, you're making each of your rooms smaller than they can be. One of the strongest things we hold on to is some kind of shame that we have to do something else besides our art to pay the bills. I think we just have to get over that. We do the other things because they support our practice both intellectually and financially. Doing other things makes you a more interesting person and a more interesting artist. Many working artists today think about multiple roles, defining a creative path, not just by limiting it to what gets made in the studio, but also how the other hours of the day are spent. A colleague of mine signs her emails, artist, entrepreneur, teacher, student. I think this is very forward thinking. And if you think about your own creative life as a whole, what are the words that would define you? What do you have to give? Write them down. We're talking about finding the right balance of all the different channels of your life and correcting them if it's not working for you. So the next big question is, how are you spending your time? You can start by doing a really accurate record of how you spend your day. I do this every few months and I'm always surprised by the tweaks I can make. I work on an academic calendar so my school year and summer look very different, but I do this schedule exercise to make sure that there is some studio teaching balance that works consistently throughout the year. Keep a notebook with you for a week and write down everything that you do, and I mean everything, including the stuff that seems trivial or just takes five minutes. Look at it carefully at the end of the week, tally up the numbers, and then ask yourself what do you want, and I mean seriously want, and write that down too. Make a similar schedule of what you'd want your week to look like. Look at them both and notice where your time is being spent. Is that working for you? What can you change? And how can you make the two schedules move closer to each other? Change seems scary, but just as you would never make the same artwork over and over again for decades, your approach to other work should be the same. It shifts and morphs and grows. The idea that a career that you picked when you were 20 is going to fit well when you were 40 is just as absurd as making the same paintings you were making in college. I don't want to make it sound like this is so easy because it's not and it takes time and there are good days and bad days 
and good weeks and months and bad weeks and months. But I think if you start to critically look at how you are dividing up your time and think about your schedule as a working flexible document, you can make adjustments and move towards a situation that feels more integrated and ultimately more satisfying. It's a process that consists of constantly making small changes that lead to bigger ones. See where you can build in regular studio time. Just as you wouldn't show up late for work or blow off a meeting, scheduling in the studio time is the same thing. It's good to value your non-paid time as the same as your paid time because you're working just as hard. Even if you go to your studio and do nothing but clean or rearrange things, you showed up and the time there becomes as much of a habit as other aspects of your life. Another thing to notice are what are the abilities and ideas that connect the hours of your days. I think there is harm in keeping a totally bifurcated life to keep one aspect of yourself secret for many hours a day. Often those different roles we think about that are so separate are not so isolated and actually overlap into each other and that's a good thing. Think about all the different tasks you take on as an artist besides actually making the work. PR, writing, editing, administrative, photography and documentation, shipping, accounting, and so on. The organizational skills I use in my studio, meeting deadlines, scheduling, tracking work, are the same skills I use outside of the studio. Even in situations where the work that you do seems disconnected can overlap. A curator friend of mine who has two growing sons works sometimes as a store display freelancer. She is good at arranging and composing spaces to be visually interesting. And while the curatorial experience on her resume helped her get the lucrative jobs of the display work, it might not make sense for her to bring up the retail work when proposing a new show. Similarly, a sculptor friend who works in wood started a seasonal tree trimming business. He already has all the tools and he can pretty much make his own schedule and as a bonus he gets a lot of free material for his art. And while his tree clients could care less that he is a sculptor, those interested in his art find how he gets his materials, quote, charming. Again, we're talking about how to achieve a more integrated life and here it's working all the way around. All the knowledge and skills are informing and supporting each other, even in a situation when your days are spent doing something totally different than your studio work. A friend of mine worked in a law office for years while also keeping up her studio practice and as her artwork became more in demand, the office worked with her to change her schedule to accommodate that and in one case matched funding for a large exhibition she was having abroad. And while that is not so typical, if she had kept her practice closeted, that opportunity would have never come up. Another example is of an artist who is working for a nonprofit green space organization and because everyone in the office knew about her artistic practice, she was the person they looked to when they went to start a public art program and her role within the organization changed to one that was much more harmonious with her interests. The idea here is to keep finding more connection and less divisions as often as you can. All that being said, I want to bring up the topic of mixing it together and keeping it separate. While there are many overlaps in the skills and knowledge between two careers, there are situations where you will want to keep them separate. You wouldn't want to get a business card from your accountant that says John Smith, accountant, juggler, and botanist because that just looks crazy. On some days and in some situations, you just have to be only the teacher or only the accountant or only the conservationist. 
You want the person you're working for to know that your work for them is not always in competition with your art and that you can, in fact, focus and be great at what you are required to do. When people ask you what you do for a living, what do you say? It's another big question, how you identify yourself, and it's a subtle but important shift in our perception. A musician friend who started a small electronic label has a day job as a personal assistant. The record label was doing well, got good critical reviews, and had peer respect, but didn't generate enough income to support the two principals. So is monetary success the only way to measure success? Should he go about in the world thinking of himself as a personal assistant or a music producer? I think of him as a musician. I never think of him as a personal assistant, even though I'm well aware what he spends most of his days doing. That little shift in perception that he was a working musician with a supplemental source of support, as opposed to the personal assistant who does music at night, made a huge difference in the way that he carried himself in the world. The fact that the music label wasn't yet as monetarily profitable as his other work doesn't take away from the fact that he is successful in his field. I want to talk for a second about looking at or creating your network because networking is one of those dirty words that sounds like a corporate jargon thing, but the idea behind it is very valuable to think about who is in your network. And if you think about all of the spheres that you inhabit and imagine a web with you in the center and all around you are the connections you have to people through your art or your personal life or your jobs or your neighborhood or your food co-op, that's your network. And it's good to look at it and say, is it skewed heavily to only one group? Is it only academics or only other artists? And to think about how you can expand that. It's a good idea to talk to people. Art made inside of a bubble is boring. You might have a great idea, but not, might not have the best resources to give you feedback and get it started, but someone in your network might. Most of our studio work is so isolated and solitary, while other work situations require us to interact with people, often people who are doing very different things, and that kind of balance is good. When you see someone doing it great, talk to them. If somebody you know has made a transition from one kind of work towards another, ask them how they did it. Ask them about the process. You can ask them for advice. Have somebody work with you on your schedule or have an accountability partner. I do this with a colleague who lives on the other side of the country. We do a monthly Skype check-in to see how we're doing with projects and to-do lists and talk about ideas. Having to report at the end of the month or week, if that works better for you, keeps you from getting wildly off plan. And speaking of plans and to-do lists, I prefer to combine my to-do list together as one. It feels less schizophrenic. I keep everything on it, studio tasks, teaching tasks, domestic tasks, so that on any given day there's laundry, sizing paper, researching a topic, the DMV, grading essays, it's all on one list. The list doesn't always get done, but it does give a sense of what the whole day could encompass, and the balance shifts from week to week and even day to day. And again, it's a bigger picture measure, and it happens over a longer period of time, and it's good to look at and evaluate periodically. Finally, there is one other exercise that I find really helpful. In teaching, I always use a backward planning system to create a curriculum. So I start with the question, what is it that I want the students to know and be able to do at the end of this course? And then I work on planning the steps that will lead to that outcome. Using that same concept, think of the future you and what you want you to know and to be doing at the end of one year or five years, or you can do one for both, and then write it down. Look at what you've written and think about what are the steps backwards to where you are right now and what has to happen in between. 
it's not an easy exercise, but it's a great one to help clarify a lot about how you spend your hours and will definitely make you conscious of what you are working towards. Seeing it laid out illustrates what parts are closer than you realized and what needs to be tweaked. And while we're talking about schedules and hours and balances, it's important to remember that the only magic ratio is the one that works for you and works for you right now. Examine and evaluate and readjust them often. I hope that this conversation was helpful and thanks so much for listening.